Hello, listeners of the Path Podcast. This is Ben, and I am bringing you a short note before we get to the show. I want to say thank you to mountainbikingparkcity.com. You should head over there, mountainbikingparkcity.com, and I'll tell you why in a second. Park City, Utah, has great riding in the fall, sometimes well into November. In fact, it's a favorite time of year to ride. The fall foliage is outstanding, and the cool mount air pairs perfectly with Hero Dirt. In addition to that, it's near-perfect riding conditions. You can find good deals on lodging and dining options around town. The Wasatch Mountain Range provides riders with 450 miles of single track to explore. And I'm serious about the 450 miles. I was out there earlier this summer and experienced only a sliver of all the trails, which I have a bunch of podcasts coming, so stay tuned for those. Uh, but yeah, definitely, you can. it's all connected. 450 miles of single track to explore. A landscape, rock climbing, hot air balloons, golf, running, hiking, and plenty more. So discover more about this seriously spectacular fall riding Park City has to offer by visiting mountainbikingparkcity.com. Thanks to them for supporting this episode, supporting Mountain Bike Radio, making it happen. You should definitely check it out. You've heard about Kenny on uh, Just Riding Along. Talk about it as well, riding up in Park City. So head over there, mountainbikingparkcity.com. Check out the links in the show notes. That's it. So let's get to the guys of the path. And thanks for listening. Have a great day. Some of these old days, mama. Some of these old sad lonely nights. Some of these old days, mama. Some of these old sad Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast. Nathan here with Tawny and Ock. Hi. It's always good to be here. And that was Monkey Bam. <laughs> and that was Monkey, Monkey Man Blues with uh, Clarence Lofton. Uh, open source music. And it turned, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that open source music. Thank you. It was good. Possibly good. influencing the blues men and, and all rock from the early 20s to now. I guess that man's nip, nickname was a name, a word that. Um, we're not supposed to say anymore, and some people call it disabled, but they had a different name for him. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well let, maybe let's start the show off the without... <laughs> not the one that makes women mad. I mean, some women would probably be mad. The hint would be Temai. <laughs> so, have you seen my baseball? <laughs> um, so, uh, welcome back to the show, guys. Yeah. The Path Podcast. Path Podcast. Business Four years usual. almost. Is that what we were just saying? Uh, you know, I want to say that it was around crazy. October. I mean, it really... It's been a while. To, you'll you'll hear this after October starts, but we're recording on the September 30th. And it's really... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't we, believe it is October. We started around October-ish, yeah. and I think we recorded a few episodes... Um. You know, just to see if we could do it. And then I think we launched in like January, December, January or something. Yeah. So we more think like around four years ago this time we sat down and recorded with $8 microphones and thought this was a good idea. <laughs> uh, debatable, but yeah, $8 <laughs> microphones from Fry's didn't quite cut it. The Lost Zero episode. <laughs> I think someday we should find it and unlose it and 
put it out in all of its glorious poor, poor production quality. Oh man, yeah, I bet Ben has some editing. Uh tactics that could, could we refresh could just go it. with it to... like a tom waits album maybe even put like a scratchy filter over it oh man you guys would have to <laughs> i you know what i honestly i haven't been that organized uh because you know we record our episodes we send them to mountain bike radio i haven't been that organized about like storing them on a hard drive or anything like i'd have to dig to find that one hmm. i i i didn't have i didn't follow the advice of tim ferris which was um plan for success <laughs> i uh, assumed it wasn't going to be successful yeah. <laughs> well and um four years in i would say that uh we're only successful in the sense that in the very small circle that we that that enjoys our show <laughs> successful in that very very small circle and thank you all for enjoying it yeah. yes. we hope you have we have supply many You're more a very years. elite group <laughs> <laughs> to the 10 of you and <laughs> very elite are you elite oh. very prestige here, prestigious here, the elite reference is uh from hackers with angelina jolie when they refer to the other hackers he's elite <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> is he elite that was always the term I hope they go away from that terminology for like race levels. I want to go back to pro expert sport and beginner, I think, or something. Uh, I, so I've, I've said this before. I, for a while I raced uh, AMA district 37 motorcycle racing and I really appreciated how they did it. And life ended at expert. You're an expert. Guys rolled up with a Red Bull helmet. You're racing expert. That's top of, that's top of the heap. Expert okay. was the top. It was uh, that beginner, not into kind of like an open pro thing, right? But it still kind of held the expert like level. Yeah. So it was beginner, novice, intermediate, expert, and that was the end of the end of the road. The cool thing was the number plates for District Thirty Seven carried a color a color bar below your number, so everybody knew your your class and the the red bar was quite a designation of eliteness. Eliteness. <laughs> Expertness. Elitarianism. <laughs> is that a word? Not sure. I uh, my whole diet is comprised of just uh, being elite. Would be maybe. <laughs> um, should we do some? I, I'm th- I'm thinking news. Sure. News. Illusion Brews, October twelfth. We've talked about it before. Check out their website. It's a fun day. We're going to have some demo bikes there. And we're going to have... We're going to partner with E13 at Lusion Brews for some really special deals. So come check it out. Something along the lines of, like, maybe buy a front tire and get a rear tire free. And or uh, some other really good values mm. with from E13. I was going to ask you what your favorite E13 product. And you mentioned the tires. And that's something I've been wanting to try. I haven't tried their tires yet, but I totally would. They seem cool. Yeah, they look pretty aggressive, and they do have casing options. They're certainly gravity-focused. Yep, for sure. And they do like a like a corner knob, aggressive corner knob, semi-slick rear, which I'm always a fan of that, that kind of class of tire. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did Gwyn run E13 tires? No, he was on... What was Gwen? Who did Gwen have say. a specialty tire with? I'm not sure. It might have been E13. No, it was the other. Oh, before that. Uh, oh, what's that other brand? I'm forgetting the name of it. What was it? Uh, uh, yeah. On, no, not. Yeah, 
Uh, say again? Um, you were right there. No, it's not Onyx. It's not, but you're uh, right there. It's um, <laughs> Ibex. No? You're Maybe also, it is you're Onyx. So close. Oh, man, you I guys think... are both close. We're both. We'll come back to this. I think it is Onyx. Hmm. I think the Gwyn tire was an Onyx. I'll check. You keep talking. Okay, so <laughs> non-dot skills clinic October 19th. Another. Onza. Not, Sorry. Onza, there you Onza, go. Onza, thank you. So close. Man, so close. Samsonite. I was way Onza. off. It was, I, was, I was picturing, I could picture the face of the guy who owns the U.S. distribution for that tire just listening to the podcast, and I could picture his face while we were not remembering the name. <laughs> <laughs> because they did have an Ibex tire. Oh, yes. no way. Yes. Um, Shout out to Hector. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Non-Dot Skills Clinic, October 19th. The Path is holding a multi-brand demo day on October 27th. It's going to be Rocky Mountain, Pivot, Giant, and Live Bikes. Slayer. Nice. The new Slayer should be there. The new Rain 29 should be there. Ooh. You could, do a sh- you could do your own little shootout between the Slayer and or the Instinct BC, the Big Bird from Pivot, the Firebird 29, and the Rain 29. The Rain has a Nathan-approved seat tube angle, just saying. <laughs> it's a nice seat angle. Substantial. Quite steep. Very nice. You know who else bought the Rain because of the seat, steep seat angle? Do tell. Mo. He he also arrived at his conclusion with his uh, slide the picture over move. Curses and cranberries. <laughs> well, you got you know. Sometimes when you're right, you're right. <laughs> um, November two is take a kid mountain biking day. That's a long tradition. If you have a kid and you want to take them mountain biking with other kids, check out um, the website take a kid mountain biking day. Um, Google should get you there. Sorry. And the shop has kiddo demos. Yeah, this is good point. This is shared by this is hosted by Share Mountain Biking, I believe, so you can find out more on the Share website. But to Nathan's point, yes, the path we recently activated the little Rocky Mountain full suspension 20 inch, the fluid 20. Mm. And then we have the Kona Process 24, and we have the new 2020 Giant Trance Junior 26. So we have a bike for pretty much all the common kid sizes. Yeah. For demo. Is that common kids? <laughs> or is that... Not to be confused with common core. <laughs> I think that's going to be at Live Oak October 27th. It, oh, I'm sorry. I, I I digress. Take a Kid Mountain Biking Day is not going to be at Live Oak. That's going to be November 2nd. Uh, the Rome Bike Festival at Sedona is November 8th through 10. Oh, wow. That's right. That's the Girl Festival? I think, yes, yes. Okay. And then November 9th is... November 9th, we're going to partner with Kristen from Pure Ride and some other shops and vendors, and we're going to do a gravel experience. So put that mm-hmm. on your calendar and watch everyone's social media. Okay. November 22nd to the 24th is Pivot Palooza in Phoenix, if you want to sign up for that. Mm. And then November 24th, the path is having a Santa Cruz demo. That'll be popular. 
Yeah, mark your calendars, November 24th, Path Santa Cruz demo. Yeah. And do you have the new Tall Boys uh, as demos? We do. So at this point, we have 2020 Tall Boys, 2020 High Towers, and what's basically a 2020 Mega Tower, all for demo, medium through double extra large, I think, in all of those. Wow. Double XL. Nice. And we'll have some smalls coming soon. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh. October 9th is the final Women's Wednesday before Daylight Savings Time. So women who want to go ride with a cool group of women, October 9th is your last chance. Until the time changes again. Until the time changes again. And we'll probably do some cool women's rides before the time change, but we can't really do this after work ride without lights. Yeah. Uh, And then... October 19th, we're doing another dirty road ride, which is basically a gravel ride. Right on. The last one was up Harding and down, or up Maple from um, the Christmas tree lot by Blackstar and then down Harding. And I'm I'm hoping this one is up Blackstar, but we'll see. That's Mm. my suggestion anyway. But I can't make it this time, so I don't get to say. Right on. Up Blackstar to... Probably an out and back. Mm. You could maybe do the Black Star single track on the way down, yeah. too. Yeah. Sweet. And I think that's all the news that I've got. Sweet. Well, well daylight saving times doesn't end until November. But it's in every other week ride, so the twentieth of October, yeah. I guess, is the last Correct. one before the before the change. Yes. Well, should I lead it off? Sure. I'm officially not getting a poll. Dunna. So, like, just not the short travel one, right? But you've still got the long travel one on order. <laughs> I said no. I said no, and I certainly don't want to bash the brand or anything i did not enjoy the experience i think the delays were excessive i think the ordering of uh the sizes wasn't appropriate uh what do you mean by that i was told because i ordered an extra large it went to the back of the line Mm. um i think the uh the stories about the delays were slightly inconsistent in my eyes again that's just my opinion i'm sure they would debate um and then but would you debate back to their debate i would (laughs) but you don't Uh, want to bash them (laughs) no you know what there i understand the flip side is they are trying to do something different and exciting they probably got that they got a lot more orders than they anticipated um i think in order to financially make it work they did have to operate on pre-orders um i i get where they're coming from on the flip side get where i'm coming from it was a lot of money and i think it was handled a little lackadaisically so by extensive Uh, delay how far how long uh the long travel one i was supposed to see in may and the short travel one i was supposed to see in june that was the initial that was the initial agreement like that's what their website said um and so i just i and then i think what really kicked it over for me is that 
they posted on social media that they were updating the frames to use the universal rear derailleur hanger and also the new uh, STFU Chris Kovarik chain slap device on all bikes shipping as of January 1st. And the last or uh, the last comment I got is that my bike would ship my frame would ship in October. Mm. Uh so for me, that crossed the line that I'd been waiting so long, and now it was already obsolete with two improvements that I would have liked to have had. I would absolutely like to walk into any bike shop in the country and get a replacement derailleur hanger versus order one from Finland. So uh, wait, which derailleur hanger are they going to use? The UDH. The SRAM thing. The SRAM, yeah. Got it. Um, and then uh, I was... Again, this was my fault. There's really, I understand where they're coming from. I don't think, I don't like how they handled it, especially if they wanted to keep customer in the future. Um, I was subject to currency fluctuations and between the two frames, I lost $300. So you paid how much? Uh, something like 69 for the two of them. And then I walked away with, you know, 300 bucks less than that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, didn't it's like you I paid a restocking fee for something you never got right the flip side of the argument is they didn't they got they refunded what they were paid in their currency i was refunded what i was paid in their currency can exceptions be made based on the circumstances i think so well can i l- let me ask you this do you think that they then profited not no, no. you don't well think, well yes they did they, did. they profited on the currency fluctuation. They, uh, well, I'd have to think about that. Well, they did profit on having the money on the books for their financing. Well, I'm not even talking about that. They got the money when the U.S. dollar was worth more compared it, to their currency, and then they gave it back at the same at, – at, at, at par when it was worth less compared to their currency. On their end though, it was like, it's no different where I bought it from. It's like I was living down the street. I paid them, let's say 3000 euros. They gave me back 3000. Okay. How about this? You know how, when you had to pay them an X amount, but it was a different amount than that on your credit card statement because it was euros to dollars. Correct. Now when they paid you back, it was a different amount on their credit card statement because it was dollars to euros. I think and it, I think they won on that. No, no, they they refunded. I'm have to think about this after the show. No, they refunded the precise euro amount that was charged to them. The conversion strictly oh, happened on my end. Got it. So it doesn't matter. The conversion was all on my end. Right. They got euros and gave euros back. But when they yes. gave, but when they gave euros back, euros were worth less than when they got them. And they Again, got them when they were worth more against the dollar. But the euro stands the is has sure. the same value in Europe. The euro didn't fluctuate in Europe. The euro fluctuated against the dollar. For sure. So, um, Well, it fluctuated. I mean, all currencies, flux- buying power fluctuates all the time. So it fluctuated in Europe too. But it's like – Correct. It, 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 and whether or not the dollar is the standard currency or not, it doesn't make it the, the standard valuation. But. Here, here's the nuanced part that bothered me is that their website now reflects a solid clear dollar price on their website. Meaning it's like when I, go, when I go on the website and I look at the price, 
the price is not some calculated precise value. It's a round dollar value. So they have accepted some level of risk. So if I buy a bike now, I can go online and be charged in dollars, and then I would have been refunded in dollars. Right. If they had They've not, this. if they not had not implemented that during my wait period, I wouldn't have a, gra- a right. leg to stand on. I think because they updated that mid-flight, that there's an argument to be made that they should have corrected this for, especially for the early adopters. So on this purchase, the buyer, because you're paying in euros, the buyer is accepting the risk of the of the currency fluctuation. Correct. Currently, what they're saying is they will accept the risk of currency fluctuation. I'm right. not 100% sure. I haven't. They I, have to be, though. I think that's all right. I think that's what's going on. They aren't really interested in talking to me much more. <laughs> Let's right. put it that way. Um. Well, to me, that's that says something too. They're done with me now, and they'll they'll just keep parroting back the or well, repeating back the same thing as we can't be held responsible for currency fluctuations. Like that's that's all I'm getting. All which right. which is fine. That being said, I still agree with the direction of the bike. I think the design is great. Um, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, if you're interested, feel free to order one. I still believe in the C2 angle. I still Nathan believe won't in the be mad at you if you order yeah. one. <laughs> I still believe in the direction. I think the way they're handling their. I guess I would let's say this: if I had, let's say, a hundred people that coughed up a minimum of four thousand dollars and paid me up front, I'd be working around the clock to get that shit out the door. And I did not get the impression that's what they were doing. Well. I would say, I would add to that, I would say that if I had a customer that I felt I had lost, I wouldn't be done with them. I would still try to earn their business back for a future purchase or, or even just good feelings. In my case, at a, I think at a minimum, maybe throw, if you decide to order again, you get a $400 discount on your next frame. That would... That would keep me interested in maybe when you guys have them in right, stock. Or even just them. the amount you lost on the currency. Refunding me the amount I lost on the currency would absolutely get you know, me. No, I'm saying as a credit towards a purchase. Yeah, but I think because I may not ever order a bike, throw another 100 bucks on that, Yeah, you know, to make it worthwhile. So, again, this is all debatable. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they screwed. They, they didn't. I see where they're coming from. They followed their rules. I follow my rules. I think, I think as a small company, there's some flexibility that they could have, some flexibility and some greater communication. I would say any size company, I think most of the successful ones treat their customers differently than this. Small and big. Correct. Here, here's what has then ensued when I canceled those orders. I decided based on recommendations from Rabi, the ex-path mechanic, and uh, there's some people I respect their opinion. They were quite interested in the Ramadana. I went ahead and ordered one. It was in stock. It shipped the same day I ordered it. When does it get here? Uh, it's still on the way. It should be crossing the water now. How does it stack up on this on your um, seat angle comparison? Uh, it thing? doesn't. It it's the the Ramadana is basically a almost a perfect layover copy of a of a transition Sentinel. With, oh, so that's pretty good. With 170 mil rear travel. 
Mm. Well, they say 160. I'm up shocking the rear. So it's going to have 170. So, but it's almost an exact uh, transition sentinel with longer travel. Is Rabin running his mulleted? He hasn't built his yet. I believe that is his plan. Does it have adjustable like bottom bracket height? It doesn't, but it does have size specific chainstay lengths. Okay. Uh, also has a little storage pouch inside the frame. It's an ex Scott engineer in Germany who has a one frame uh, business. The website's great. I I think it's very specific. He's uh, great attention to detail, and the frame was in stock. Uh, in light of that, also, I put a deposit, not a full pre-order, but a deposit down on a Privateer 161, which is a bike we've maybe talked about. They're claiming an 80-degree seat tube angle. I haven't looked at it closely. Very similar bike. Now, people ask, why am I getting two of the same bike? Uh, well, one, I'm a big boy, and I get what I want. I make my own money, so I buy what I want. Uh, I think a more respectful way of putting it is there's a good chance in six months while it, when it's actually ready to ship, I'm going to want one. Oh. You okay, Ock? I am. <laughs> so, yeah, Nathan is a pretty big boy. Very, very uh, solid. Ock just took a spill. Man. I think he's all right. I am. Man, I'm, I'm just hoping you're... Your baby rocking chair is okay. <laughs> we're, <good. laughs> we're human here. Man. I've done Speak that for too. Yourselves. <laughs> I've done that too. Uh, so uh, I was interested in both of those bikes, so I've got the other one. Or, and uh, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. I, you know, I think what was... Certainly towards the end of the summer, I was just tired of, I was tired of waiting and I was tired. I I did sell a bike preemptively based on their projected delivery date. So I didn't really have my own enduro bike for the whole summer. And it just kind of wore me down. I was just kind of tired of it. You seem tired and kind of like a little bit deflated, like someone who just broke up with like their dominatrix for a year and a half. Like I remember you coming out of your pole sessions, just like, jet, like kind of like jazzed up and like not, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, even though you yeah, got, like, I don't know if I'm happy or sad. Yeah, I just slapped around a couple of times. Yeah, it'll be here. It's gonna be okay. I I certainly was was following the. It's just a bicycle. This is a first world problem. It's no big deal. Don't be whiny. And then when I seriously when I saw when I saw them posting the updates, I was like, "That's it." I was like, "I'm." It's done. like a masochist. You said their safe word, and the person didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> there was. Cacao, yeah, cacao, cacao. <laughs> it's like you're like refund, and <laughs> yeah, and they didn't stop. Yeah, refund. <laughs> Dude, they. I'm gonna start using that one. Yeah, I didn't know you would ever need a safe word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Refund. Learn a, learn something new every day. Refund. Refund. Ock doesn't strike his close friends as the type who would need a safe word, but no. I guess everyone does. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it took them a good three weeks to get the get the refund. I was there was a significant waiting of like wills of thinking, we'll see how this goes. Hey listeners, it's Ben again. I'm just jumping in to remind you to check out mountainbikingparkcity.com. 
com. It's awesome that they're supporting the show, supporting Mountain Bike Radio, and uh, brings this to you for nothing. So go check that out, mountainbikingparkcity.com. And uh, you should check it out this fall if you've been thinking about it or if you haven't been thinking about it. You know why? Because it's great. It's great riding in the fall, sometimes well into November. It's the favorite time of year for a lot of people because the foliage is great. Cool amount air pairs perfectly with great hero dirt. In addition to the near-perfect conditions, you can find great deals on lodging, dining options, everything around town. And the Wasatch Mountain Range provides riders with 450 miles of single track to explore. And you have plenty of options, landscape for rock climbing, there's golf, hot air balloons, trail running, hiking, and plenty more. So you can go to mountainbikingparkcity.com to discover more about the spectacular fall riding that Park City has to offer. Book your place, get more information, mountainbikingparkcity.com. All right, back to the guys. It was, Man, I wonder well, what the what the recourse would have been with your with your credit card. I have no one. idea. International like pre order a year who, like six months ago. I think nine you should, months ago. Never mind. Off off the air, I'll tell you what the shysty thing to do is. Ah, uh, that's <laughs> I. I did go into this understanding that there was certain risks. I'll be the first to admit. I how this unfolded. I didn't. I I wasn't thoroughly prepared for this being the outcome is oh you're gonna cancel american express no it was a combination of paypal i do think you can probably at the very least i think it's worth probably calling your credit card company and asking them if they would cover the loss of the currency exchange some credit card companies might it did go through the same and credit card. They might just be like, you know, you should just tra- file a chargeback. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, I, in all honesty, I get. Like, I'll be honest. I get what they're. I get where they're coming from. They didn't do anything explicitly wrong. I think. You know, there was one guy on Facebook, and if you watch their Facebook feed, they clean it up. And guys complain all the time, and they clean it up. And one guy had a real real gripe with them and he's the one they souped nazi and canceled his order but i read what he wrote he had a valid excuse so i mean i might i'm i'm running a different business than poll and poll's obviously taking some chances and has earned the right to maybe be selective in their customers maybe in a way i haven't yeah but i don't think so because i think i've done enough good service for enough people to be a little selective in our customers at the path too mm. yeah but um there's a different. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I could, I could, I could get all of our customers to break up with the path without ever doing anything, quote unquote, wrong. Right. Mm. Yeah. It would be easy and pretty quick too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it to me it would be like stop looking out for their interests and protecting their interests openly. Right. To me, I would say the way that Paul has set up their 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 image would be if you were set up as the sole proprietor of the path and the sole mechanic of the path and told people to come in and get expert mechanic work done. But at the same time posted on Instagram of race after race, after race, after race that you were traveling to internationally. 
and they were pre. I think I know what bike shop you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and they would prepay for your mechanic services. Hey, bike shops out there, if you take offense to this, then you deserve to. <laughs> and they prepaid for your mechanic services while watching you on Instagram out with their money. Now, you know that you have a staff of mechanics. You have a staff of people handling the day-to-day business. But if you proactively told the world that I am the engineer, I am the designer, I am the CEO. Hold on, though. I also know that if I'm in Bellingham riding my bike and I get a text from a customer or an email or a call from a customer, I'm like probably right after the bike ride calling the shop and yeah. get, and like working on making sure that everyone's getting taken care of. Yeah. Here's another. When I went online to pre-order the Privateer 161, there was a live chat, and I was getting my questions answered as I was placing the order. Polk sometimes took four days to respond to an international email, and the live chat feature didn't work for this stuff. They didn't have a live chat. Polk doesn't have a live chat. Oh wait, who had a live chat? Uh, Privateer. Oh right, got it. All right. And when I was ordering the Ramadana. the guy there was emailing me back within minutes. I was te- I was emailing him late, like very early in the morning, so it, the time frames were lining up. But he was responding qu- mm. like in real time. You know, a couple of minutes. Like that's sweet. You know, he. Sent I feel me- like maybe that might be part of the future of the path is where we need to have a live chat feature on our website. It's like the next step from our texting service. I love live chat. I've had great Mm. results with live chat from Evil Bikes, from Patagonia, from Privateer Bikes. Um, It's probably pretty worth it. Yeah. Backcountry, uh, REI. Uh, I take that back. I'm not 100% sure on REI. Do you think some of those people have 24-hour live chat? uh, No, for sure they don't. Like Evil has a little thing when it says when they're available. Oh, interesting. So it, that's kind of cool. You don't have to like have this box open that you might not respond to. Yeah, it has a little say live chat is available now or not available. Oh, that's now. cool. Mm. I like that. And so when I went to the privateer website, I, I think I ordered it the day he launched it. So he was probably kind of sitting at his computer pretty late, like saying, hey, we just launched. I'll probably be available to answer questions. Um, so, yeah. But do all of those have a, a- either a strong or sole like online model poll does poll is ordered right. direct from us strictly uh raw is the same and privateer is the same right and evil ha- does sell through shops including the path bike shop come get an evil at the path bike shop <laughs> uh but they will they also sell direct so they do right. handle their but yes i bought I bought an evil for my girlfriend through the path. Got an insurgent. It's pretty sweet. I like them. I think evils are great for short people with standover challenges. They like Konas. Konas yeah. are like that too. Yeah. Agreed. Maybe I should try one someday. An evil? <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're just barely close enough to normal to not quite totally need it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking from personal knowledge. Right. Exactly. I I mean, I think they're cool. I 
don't have one. I don't, I think their larger geometry doesn't quite mm. tick my boxes, but the smaller geometry I think yeah. is great. I I have a sneaky suspicion Evil's size gradient of the sizes that they sell probably shifts to the short side. I think a lot of short they sell a lot of smalls and mediums mm. more so than say some other brands. I I'm totally speculating. But because of the standover, is quite good. See, Donnie was referring to the fact that we are virtual body doubles. <laughs> Except for, like, this was really made apparent to me. Um, the hand size. Oh, you guys have different hand sizes? It's like fatness of hand. Ah. Yeah. So you guys have different brake lever setup. Girth in hands is, like, significant. Wow. <laughs> I think part of it, too, is the angle that my wrists and, and forearms tend to be coming into the bars mm. at mm. also. I mean, what Ock is referring to is that – it's not just that, though, too, because this is just even just to clear my second knuckle. Um, I run my bars my, – my brake levers quite a bit further in than I do. Right. And, and then probably average, a little further in than average, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I have tiny, like maybe I have very petite hands. So that reminds me, you know how, you know how on a podcast recently I told you how I had flipped my AXS shifter and reverb perches yes. and, and reversed them from yes. right to left and left to right, and you were like, oh yeah, I did that too. And I didn't do that. Correction, then. I didn't do that. So I had, I was hanging out with some people from SRAM, and I was like, guys, I, you know, like I have something to tell you, like. You're shift. You're shipping all the AXS shifters with the perches on the wrong sides. Like, put the shifter perch on the reverb side and the reverb perch on the shifter side. And I didn't say it quite that articul- articulately because I've been working on my delivery since failing <laughs> twice. <laughs> what I said is put the right perch on the left side and the left perch on the right side. Right. Like, oh, yeah, we already did that. And I think what people automatically assume is that you mean yes. that you moved it to the inner bolt holes to, like cause, – because the shifter – is has two mounts and so does the AXS. All, all SRAM stuff has two mounts, right? The, it, like a closer in, closer to the grip mount and a closer right. to the stem mount. I think everyone is just like, oh yeah, I know it has two mounts. Shut up. And like, and who cares which one we ship it in? Right. It's like, no, you're shipping the wrong perch the on the wrong perch, side. Correct. And right. so the SRAM tech rep, he was telling me, oh, I run the discrete perches. I I run the discrete clamps for the AXS stuff so that they're a separate clamp from the brake levers so they can be independently adjusted in and out. And it was when when I told him my solution and when he told me that that still didn't get him far enough in, it was when I knew he maybe hadn't actually tried my solution. Ah. I was like, all right, come look at my bike. And they're like, oh, I see what you mean. I see. Right. Well, with the SRAM stuff, with the direct mounts, with the two bolts plus the two positions that can be slipped, switched side to side, you actually have four different offset positions. Yeah, combined. Yeah, it's two by two, right? Yes. Uh, so I actually, so I flipped the perches, um, left and right, and on my reverb side, I actually run it out, like closer to the. To the outside, closer to the stem, mm. closer to the grip, closer to the grip, mm. closer to the outside of the bar, and then on the shifter side, I actually do run it um, closer to the stem. Why? Because that's where it feels most natural on the thumb. Do you feel like they're different shapes or just a different motion? 
It's a slightly different motion. It is a different motion. Because the... Yeah. The reverb button is not an analog of either shift on the AXS shifter. Correct. And it's only one mm. direction. It Which is some people think it should be. Mm. Hmm. That, that's like an interesting debate. But I think what they did is optimize it for not having to be two things. Right. Which really, which is why I brought up the girth of hand size, is that... As a bike fitter, this is just a really straightforward thing. It's just however you put someone's... Say someone's going to ride with the outside of their hand on the outside of the grip. You put them there, and then you slide the brake lever in until it doesn't hit their middle finger knuckle when they pull the brake finger with their lever with their pointer finger. Yep, yep. If even if they pulled it all the way to the bar, so for some people that might be on a SRAM lever, which tends to run a little further. You need to usually push those in a little bit compared to Shimano levers, which are a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. SRAM lever for a lot of riders, I would say you'd have a gap between a standard length grip and the brake lever of like maybe 10, 12 millimeters. Mm-hmm. I tend to run like 20 ish. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And I then re- you will see people who run 30 if they set their brake levers up for proper one finger braking. It, yeah, it really depends where you like to be in the grips. In my case, I tend to be really towards the end of the grips and kind of... But I'm talking about, I always assume someone's going to have a little bit of meat of their palm hanging off the end of the grip, and then I fit the brake lever from there. Mm. And if they're not, I suggest cutting the bar. Mm. Okay. That... Because I think the three of us kind of ride with this... I think that's pretty standard for people who have spent some time working on it. Like, yeah. you cut your bars so that the meat of your palm just kind of dank, barely hangs up, muffin tops over the edge of the yeah. end mm-hmm. of the bar. Mm-hmm. But your skeleton is supported. There was an interesting article on Pinkbike on uh, bar width. I can't remember precisely who did it. I think it was maybe like that Skills with Phil guy or something. And he had a... He had a formula that I was playing with. I actually really kind of agreed with it. It resulted in a more substantial bar width change per for the size of the rider, which I think right. there might be something to that. I think there might be, but I also think that bars aren't quite wide enough yet for some sizes of riders then. Mm. In other words, I don't have that wide of shoulders, and I'm pretty sure 780 is my width. Right. And the widest bars are 820, mm-hmm. 830, and those are extraordinary. Most bars are 800, mm-hmm. most like standard with bars are 800. So one of the things that, that, I, that I've done now, granted I have access to a 3D printer, uh, is I'll use, uh, if I want a little extra width or say I've cut a bar down a little bit narrower than I'd like it to be, as long as I choose a grip that has a clo- closed-end grip single inner clamp i make a little uh puck basically like say a 10 millimeter puck drop it into the grip and slide it in and it spaces the grip out about 10 millimeters and then if i do take a hit it doesn't let the clamp slip or anything a way you could do this if you don't have access to a 3d printer and you have an old handlebar is cut a little piece of handlebar you're just talking about a way to have a little extra width if you want Mm -hmm. correct if you if you don't cut them narrower than you want, though, you don't have to do that, right? But in your case, if you are someone that's really Oh, if big, you're getting... I see. How to add to it. Yeah. To an 800 or an 830. Right. I would say, too, 
so like shoulder width, I think is a big factor in bar width selection, but I think maybe bigger is how elbows out you are. Yeah. Yeah. But just a little trick if you wanted to, uh, if you need a little extra width, because I, I have some bars that I cut down to 750, but I like to run them at 780. I make two little 15 millimeter spacers, drop them in the end of the grip. It limits your grip choice a little bit, not much. Most grips are closed, mm-hmm. closed end single clamp, drop it in the end, slide it on. But like if you're riding that old school way where you're kind of back on the bike and kind of reaching for the bars, you can't, you will run, you should run narrower bars mm-hmm. than if you're trying to be Kyle straight where his chest is like two feet in front of his stem. Right. Yeah. And like basically his elbows are going straight down to the grips. Right. Right. And basically it's his elbow width, not his shoulder width. Yeah. Mm. And he's making wings out of his biceps. Right. So yeah. Have you seen pictures of Kyle straight riding lately where it seems like he's a foot further over his handlebars than anyone else. I haven't looked. If but you I, look at pictures on like Pink Bike or Vital from the U.S. Open, both mm-hmm. both in the slalom and the downhill, he's way he over the front. So far forward. Wow. And I I also think for, uh, you have to be really. I think he's going f- further forward than is. I think he's so far forward that you actually have to be extra strong to ride that way because it's like harder to hold your own weight up when you're that far forward. Mm. That mm. seems to make like sense. A, like a. Like a when you do it, try to do a push up with like your your body forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Interesting, but I'm sure it weights the crap out of the front wheel and it's fully committed and bitching. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I have some other kind of quick notes, and then I was thinking maybe we move into some listener questions. Yeah, sure. Oh, there's one thing I wanted to add about the bar. Uh, SQ Labs has some more substantial back sweep bars that I think if anybody's ever interested, just be aware they do make those. Like they make a 12 and a 16 degree back sweep bar. Uh, most bars are like a nine degree back sweep. They make a 12 degree and a 16. I think their argument is for uh, like, um, what do they call it? Like eversion, like your wrist side to side motion. There's flexion and extension and. Oh, abduction and adduction of your wrists. I work in this industry. I should know that. I don't. Mm-hmm. I should. Uh, so if you're having wrist pain, maybe just take a look at what SQ Labs has to say. They, they make some interesting bar bends. Again, I would say, especially if you're riding more back on the bike. Yeah. Hmm. Personally, if I had a lot of back sweep, I'd maybe roll it up and make it up sweep. <laughs> <laughs> I love, Remind me of my old Azonic double walls. <laughs> That's so the up sweep of the old Azonic double walls is why I have a secret stash of FSA gravity light bars. Yeah, they're super upswept. I love those. It's like gravity, but it's gravity light. <laughs> it's gravity light. It's pretty light. They're eight hundred aluminum bars with a lot of up sweep. A lot. A whole bunch substantial <laughs> moving on did you guys notice how much travel the new ibis hd5 has it's a really interesting number I it's like not. 153 <laughs> it's 153 like, it's like is about, that right it's about 153 like exactly about approximately <laughs> exactly 153 process that's the name of a bike <laughs> Can I share a quick experience about throwing a leg over I, an Ibis? Yeah, but hold on. But like, does the, 
Does, did wow. Mandel? Because when Mandel introduced the process, part of it was this is the perfect travel. For- <laughs> <laughs> was he maybe onto something? I suspect that if you actually broke down travel on most bikes, they would have some version of a specific travel. Specifically 153? Possibly. <laughs> 150 might actually be 153? I think a lot of bikes that are 160 might have 150, might have 170. And it's pretty hard to back check them on that. Well, especially because it's like, are you counting of like going all the way through the bump stop? Vertical, arc distance, uh, point to point. There's three different ways to quantify rear travel. Oh my gosh. No one better be counting that arc distance. That would piss me off. I think some people I might. think vertical or point to point, I could sort of get along with either of those as like Man, honest the, attempts the to track of the arc. It might be track of the arc. <laughs> if I have to use, if I have to use, um, like curve based geometry, which is like, it's like stationing along bordering on types of math I didn't take. I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> I think point there's point. some point to point I can do. That's more or less basic geometry. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to say, I don't know, but I speculate there is a lot of fuzziness. If we're doing a curve, problem. I'm getting a string out. And I'm putting it on the curve and then t- straightening the string out and measuring it. <laughs> that is a practical workaround. I like it. Or or I will use a computer. When it gets that precise, I mean, even on an air shock, there's a little bottom-out O-ring in there. Or a coil shock has a substantial bottom-out bumper. Yeah. All of those, is it accounted for? Is it? Maybe? I don't know. Kind of? Could it? Hmm. All all interesting questions, all things that we are taking on faith. And Nathan knows you can rip that bottom-up <laughs> oh, over off <laughs> without tearing it and putting it back on. That was a couple beer night, and I was like, I got to know. <laughs> I, I told myself, I got to know. So if anybody didn't listen to the story, at one point I had a bike, and I had a coilover, and I wasn't sure if the reservoir was going to crash into the frame. But on a coilover, there's a bottom-out bumper. And you don't know how much it squishes. But if you take the bottom-out bumper off, you know for sure how much travel. On the coilover, the bottom-out bumper is external. It's external. I took some zip ties. Because there's a bottom-out bumper, I hope, on an air shock, too, usually. Yeah. I used a little dish soap and some zip ties and really yanked that thing over the eyelet. Put it on the bike. Sure enough, I had like three millimeters of clearance. I was like, yes, I can run this thing. <laughs> and it sat on my bench for like a month while I was just vacillating. I was like, man, if I get, if I estimate that bottom out bumper clearance wrong, it's going to crash into the frame and just crack it. And it worked. And I was stoked. So your um, bottom out bumper gave birth to an eyelet. <laughs> oh, man, it did. It did. And then, and then stuffed it, it back on. And then I stuffed the baby back in. Oh, man. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have some other quick things. Oh, man. I heard recently, <laughs> and I thought this would be interesting. I think this is true. I haven't read it anywhere, but I heard it from a reliable source. SRAM is now recommending me- to measure the B-gap at SAG. Oh, oh they snap. are. I, re- I, I, I read that. It's Dios, interesting. Dios mio. Well, it's a, big, it's a development. As we discussed last time, I think that's this was the, something that came up on a recent podcast. That that's the true way to do apples to apples. Yeah, how you like them apples? And I was thinking about this Ram hanger, and thinking about that story about the guy who smashed. On a recent podcast, I told the story of a customer 
who smashed his AXS derailleur, and he called me. He texted me. He wanted to know the price of derailleur parts and a derailleur. And I was like, what's broken on your derailleur? He's like, well, so far all I know is the hanger's broken. And I talked to him recently and verified it was broken off. The wow. hanger was broken off. What like, Broken in half on Santa a Cruz. mega tower. That's like, so yeah. he got in. I, I told him, like, let's get a new hanger on there and just see if it shifts, like, what's going on with the new hanger. So I sent him one, and he put it on there, and it shifted flawlessly with wow. the new hanger. Wow. And if you look at the big kind of where the motor and the the, the immovable part of that derailleur, right? it's pretty beefy. Mm-hmm. And then the rest breaks away. Hmm. And picture a world where SRAM engineered the hangar to break before that. I'm down with that. Hmm. So I, I had this realization, like, maybe part of SRAM's motivation for introducing their universal hangar is if the hangar's the fuse, SRAM wants to control, like, when the fuse blows. It lowers the risk of well. They can engineer. It. They yeah. can engineer in tandem with the derailleur to give at just the right amount before the derailleur does. Yeah, and they can control both. They can control both of those things. And if they decide they want a stiffer hanger, they can make a stronger derailleur. If they decide they want a, a weaker derailleur, they can make a flexier hanger. Mm. But, did you see there were some patent pictures floating around that had SRAM working on some kind of like direct mount, direct to axle mount derailleur system, a la the first generation Saint stuff? Yeah, Shimano calls it direct mount. It's weird because there's still a hanger, but it's just an a, a much more shallow angle of dangle for the Shimano one. No, Shimano is a true hanger. This was the picture I saw was like the knuckle. Right. What I'm saying is the Shimano one, you, you still have to use a hanger, even though yes. in theory they've kind of worked around it. The SRAM direct mount hanger. was the knuckle of the derailleur was directly mounted in line with the axle. Yeah. And you would, again, would have to control the shape of the derailleur hanger backing for that to work. Correct. Which if brands adopt their universal derailleur hanger, they would have control over. Right. Another quick comment on SRAM and AXS and everything is it's almost so obvious that I didn't think to say it before, but you never have to tune your shifter cable again with AXS. Yeah. Like that whole function of the... So yeah. after owning it for a while, I finally... Hold the button and adjust I the finally trim. like tuned mine, you know, adjusted the trim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hold... It's super easy. As Ock just pointed out, you, you hold the trim button and touch the shifter and that does the equivalent of like adding or removing tension from the cable. Okay. But since there's no housing compression or cable stretch or cable friction, it never goes out of tune. Yeah. It's always in tune and it's never getting more friction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like this is kind of like the first fantasy of a wireless shifter, but there's all these other, Features that we focused on that are kind of less obvious benefits. Yeah, that it all. I, I almost forgot to mention. Like, yeah, you don't really tune your cable. There isn't. There is a thing that's the same thing as tuning your cable tension, but you just don't do it. Right. Unless you make maybe bend your hanger and try to like you do that as a band aid instead of 
a line yeah. in the hangar to like get you through just so you can be in your granny gear or something maybe. But like, and to I, Nathan's point, you should still check that hangar derail that the hangar alignment first. Yeah, I think that's always a good idea on a bike out of the box or something, especially. Well, anytime. if I was you tune a derailleur, you check the hangar. Yes, I was having issues when I first bolted on the um, the AXS on my trance with some of the shifting. The hanger was a little wonky. Well, I thought so, but I checked it and it was it was great. And then I just adjusted the trim mm-hmm. on the um, rear derailleur. Yeah, and it was it was beautiful, which couldn't be easier. Oh my gosh, it couldn't be easier. I wonder. I'm really curious about what the trickle down schedule is for the electronic stuff from SRAM. I think there's reason to be optimistic. I will be optimistic ba- based on. I mean, just based on how they handled Eagle. Right. First, it was just X01 and XX1. Yeah. And one year later, it was GX. And then one year after that, it was NX. And then one year after that, it's SX. Yeah. How are they going to... I wonder what the price is, is going to be. be. More than its cable equivalent, but trickling down at some gradient. <laughs> but I wonder where they're going to cut the costs to make that... Uh, probably similar places like the carbon mm. carbon arms, the you know quality of the bearings, the lightweight of the materials. They're going to amortize the de- engineering costs and the design cost. I mean, right? They, I mean, who knows how much they threw at designing True. those items? Right. Right. If the batteries are interchangeable, they're going to get uh, economy, economy of scale. Yeah, and the motors are going to be probably the same. Yeah, I imagine the motors are actually quite inexpensive unless they're custom. Everything goes down with quantity. I bet a big cost of that AXS group was the cost of design and R&D. Probably. And I bet once you get that paid for, you can produce to supply it at a lower price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. I'm looking forward to it. I, w- I would certainly like to try it. I've been... I like the electric shifting experience that I've had with the Archer Shifter. It's a much more economical way of doing it. Uh Obviously, well, it's super a... easy to try. I mean, you could take your derailleur off, tape your <laughs> cable to your frame, and just put my derailleur on your bike and my shifter and right. try it. And yeah, I, and you, I'll let you. <laughs> I I've tried. I threw a leg over the path high tower demo. Oh right, you can it, take that out. It too. feels really really good. Yeah, it's it's a really well engineered thing. It really took me a while to get used to the. The shifting. The ergonomics? I mean, yeah, the ergonomics. Hmm. Hmm. Are you sold on it now? I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I haven't tried to ride a mechanical bike since I... Yeah. When I go I... back to mechanical, I really feel like I'm getting pretty far out of position to make shifts. Yeah. And I, I also find... A couple times I found myself holding the button down on the mechanical shifter waiting for it to keep shifting. <laughs> right. You know, in light of the direction that SRAM's going and their group engineering, which I think has been really good, it's keeping things interchangeable and all like this platform engineering that they're doing. And then Shimano kind of going in their 12-speed direction, which it's my understanding now that Shimano's chains and chain rings are now not really cross-compatible anymore. Mm. You mean with SRAM? With SRAM. I, I really think... Yeah, they all say that all the time. I thought it's a little more true for the 12-speed. 
Wolf? It's not. No? I don't know. I mean, I've seen... I've seen a, a Shimano 12-speed chain functioning flawlessly on a Wolf Tooth or, or a, some aftermarket chain ring. No, I think the aftermarket chain rings... I was, not an X-Sync chain ring. I was looking and uh, Wolf Tooth says their chain rings, this is for Shimano 12-speed. Yeah, and this they was have, not one that ha- was specifically for Shimano. It was one that was meant for SRAM 12-speed. But I wonder Working if... on Shimano? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. What I took away from that Wolf Shimano 12-speed chain ring is that it has to do with wear. Well, and SRAM, for mm-hmm. the record, SRAM also states that they strongly recommend only running their chain rings with their 12-speed chain. Hmm. Now, I've run the... Wolf tooth chain rings on and twelve I've, speed stuff just fine. I've been round and round with this on with SRAM on this. Oh, okay. Like, I guess let me maybe put. It's it, hard to even get someone there to admit that you could get away with it, right? <laughs> I well, I would say this is uh, the chain compatibility aside. I think Shimano with the new driver. I, I feel like there is much more of a divide now between like all Shimano or all SRAM. Um, SRAM, I think, hits more cross-compatibility with, say, race face and things like that, whereas Shimano seems to be over, kind of it's like an all-in Shimano choice. Maybe? I don't know. It feel, feels like they're getting a little bit more... I mean, you can get that micro-spline driver on lots of hubs. Yes, you, you can. A lot of the... A lot of the the it doesn't work with other stuff is propaganda that's actually not true, which I think is a propaganda mistake, maybe. Mm-hmm. And some of it is like it doesn't like the new the newest XT and XTR brake clamp master cylinder shapes don't really fit very well with SRAM shifters, but you mm-hmm. can do it. It's not the, well. They did not before. Undoable. They didn't before either. Even in the seven eighty five days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's definitely internet, or there's definitely propaganda going around like you can't run a SRAM shifter with a Shimano brake lever, and that's not really true. Like lots, lots of people are. Yeah, I would say SRAM or Shimano brakes. We're seeing a lot of that thing where the calipers weep and the brake yeah. pads get contaminated like more, more than before. Oh. Mm. It's just I, I was talking to Brandon, who's been on the podcast in the shop the other day, and we we're talking about that, and and you know, of, of course, there's the famous problems with SRAM brakes over the years, including the thing, the current problem, which we just refer to in the shop as the thing, the thing, yeah. Um, but we're finally, I was like, you know, maybe brakes are just hard. They are. I, I, I think they are. They get they're difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I've had good luck with the Hayes ones. They're kind of the sleeper, but the new Dominion. I love breaks. my codes. Yeah. I really do. I like my codes. Although I recently replaced my rear brake pads. Cleaned while I had my pads out, I cleaned my pistons with rubbing alcohol. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Pushed them back, put new pads in. And the pistons wanted to come out to where the worn out pads were sitting. Um, over push the pistons back hold them back and pull the brake lever you know spin the rear really fast and pull the brake and have it catch the brake pads and that kind of seats them sometimes like doing all the stuff after 
moved the lever reach just thing or you know like yeah. did all the things to like give it some room to not rub and now it's like pretty good i guess <laughs> right <laughs> so brakes are a difficult thing ha- have you ever tried hope hope brakes i've had hope mono minis like at 2000 circa 2006 those i would say were on the lighter side those were cross country brakes and they were very effective for what they were yeah. and i've always really liked hope break lever shapes yeah i i think hope i've talked to a few people that run hopes and their newer lever has very two distinct degrees of freedom that both do a lot i think the biggest criticism i have of hope is that their service parts can be hard to get sometimes Mm. and brakes are hard Mm -hmm. and you want like a big eager company behind your brakes i feel like Right. I do think that when hopes are working, they are elite brakes. And I think I would take them personally over a lot of the other gambles on an after. Uh, like to me for brakes, I like Avid or SRAM because it's like, I know I can get those brake pads anywhere. Yeah. I know, I know if there's a problem, I know it's a known problem and I can be like, look, you guys know this is like, right. I, do you need me to show you all my RAs? <laughs> right. Um, Whereas with hope, they can still pull the like, we've never seen this before. Mm, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, not that they would or wouldn't, but like people do, they would, they have. What have you been seeing with the TRPs? I've, I've had a couple, I've had a set, I've had a friend that's had a set and it's, I've heard, it's been good so far. They seem good. Small they, I get really good feedback on the haze too. Yeah. But the haze are like the ultimate version of this. Like, oh, they're probably awesome. But like, you think you're gonna be able to buy a a barb and olive for them? Like, you come to the path, you might end up breaking up with the path because it took us two months to get you a barb and olive. Mm-hmm. And right, the and and Brian wants to quit now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a dicey thing out there for brakes. Maguro uses too much plastic, in my opinion. You know, I could. I I sampled those Magura brakes. I really they felt really powerful and confidence inspiring. It really bothered me that they use like a wood screw to hold the perch on the bar. It's because of the plastic construction, right? There's other ways, but yes, I mean that. I mean the plastic allow. Yeah, the plastic right. allows for that. Not, <laughs> right. not not necessitates it. Right, you can't have a molded threaded insert. Yeah. Which would have been nice. Um, but you know, my my two biggest criticisms of the Maguras, the, the pad gap is small, and they're t- you have to have them just perfect or they rub, or okay. if your rotor's slightly out of true. And then the other thing with the Maguras is, for whatever reason, with the ergonomics of them, they kind of gave me arm pump compared to other brakes. And it wasn't, it wasn't the power, and it was, it was the way they fit my hands, I think. So I was running a set of Hayes mm-hmm. Primes for a while, and they have a similar lever where it's like an inline A radial piston. master cylinder? Yeah. Call it. The hook of the lever tends to rotate away from your hand as you squeeze. It's, mm. a, it's a strange feeling. You have to, it takes some getting used to. I could see that. I, I had that issue with the Prime. I mean, the Primes were great. They never leaked. I never had to bleed them. They worked. Uh, I think they're kind of phasing out, but... That inline, inline cylinder, radial cylinder. Sorry, it was kind of funky. 
Yeah. But someone just make a nice set of brakes. Here's a here's a fun piece of information. If you read the Pink Bike article and you were intrigued by the trick stuff brakes, those German brakes, which apparently have a nine-month waiting period, here's the deal, though. I was given this information on good authority. You don't have to pay up front. Mm. Pre-order them. Maybe you'll get them. And the price on Pink Bike apparently was not a, was not accurate. I think it's... I think they said it was like a thousand or eleven hundred euro a set. They're more like seven fifty euro a set, and you don't. Oh, have well, to... in that case, at that price, <laughs> how can you afford not to buy? <laughs> you don't have to prepay though. So if you have an inkling, slap down an order. <laughs> and decide nine months if you still want them. Apparently, they're amazing. Uh, Enduro Mag did a great review on them where they lab, te- lab tested a lot of brakes, and those ones were literally off their chart. Mm. Uh, I think they might have gone to Hope for Enduro Mag and used their brake testing device, mm-hmm. which is like a, you know it's a torque testing and consistent lever push and things like that. Like Saints were great, Codes were great, uh, and the Trick Stuff ones were off the chart. Again, though, if it's nine months to get the brakes, how long is it to get a replacement part? At seven hundred and fifty euro. At seven hundred fifty euro a set. Crazy. Kind of pricey. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're quite the cat's meow, though. <laughs> and when that cat meows, people are happy and it purrs, too. Do <laughs> <laughs> we do any listener questions, or do you guys have other stuff you want to talk about? Uh-huh. How about listener questions? Yeah. I have one last piece of news to sneak in. All right. All right. This week, the path is going to put 2019 all in stock 2019 Rocky Mountains and Norco bikes on sale for a substantial discount because it's 2020 season. And that means that I think the only remaining 2019 bikes that aren't officially on sale on the path are like some Bronsons and 5010s and like a couple of, a couple of Santa Cruz models where all that's changed is the color. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, if it's an actual new frame from Santa Cruz, the old one would be on sale. And everyone else, if it's 2019 in stock, it's substantially discounted at this point. Yeah. I don't know if I talked about it last time, but I did acquire a Scott Ransom 900 tuned. And there are two left in stock at the path. Where did you find that one? I got it used. Like Pink Bike? or I got it Pink Bike from a guy who got, got it and didn't... Um, I got a deal I I couldn't pass up, and had to drive a really far away. I had to drive a long. How long was the drive? Uh, six hours round trip to get it, uh, and I'm pretty stoked with it. I don't know if I talked about this in in detail yet, but I swapped some parts around, and I have the thing sitting with pedals at twenty eight and a half pounds. What tires? Not your not your endorsed tire. 2.35 Schwalbe Knobby Nick. Front and rear? Front and rear, yeah. It's trail bike tire. I mean, I think I endorsed that tire for that weight. It's a manageable tire for what I'm using this bike I can't for. make a better... I If you were like, well, if you don't like this, what, you, what would you recommend at this weight? I wouldn't be like, oh, this. Right. Wait, how much are those tires? How much do they weigh? Like 770, 780. 
that's light for a 29er tire for the record. I mean, and a, and a proper considering two, three, like the tires on my light bike are more like 850, I think. Right. And it measures out as a proper 235. But if you put that on your, if you put those on your mega tire, you'd lose two pounds on your mega tower. And then I would lose a tire. <laughs> you would lose a tire, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I already feel like EXO Max's tires are are kind of maybe the weak point in the chain on my Mega Tower as far as pushing the bike. Mm-hmm. What's going to go first? Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are first ride holes in it. <laughs> Speaking from <Yeah>. experience. <laughs> so are those Scott Ransoms on some kind of sale? Those are 2019s. They are. Um, I... Actually, you know what? You caught me. Scott is the other brand that we haven't officially put the 2019s on sale yet because the 2020s aren't quite out yet. Although I think that's good. By the time this podcast is out, that might have changed. Mm. And if you want a preview on a 2019 sale price of Scott, you can let me know. I'll help you out. I'm just going to speak for this because this is the conclusion that I've come to. But I think the Scott Ransom is something super, super special at a pound per travel ratio and flipping that switch and shortening the travel to 120 makes a huge difference. It makes that bike massively adaptable. Uh, it's a little bit of an experiment on the end, but I'm really enjoying it. And I think that that lever switch is really cool. It opens a lot of doors. There's other ways to achieve it. Brandon can build you a custom remote, shock for your mega tower and you can probably get really close to it i don't think so i think it's going to be different right so if brandon builds you a custom remote shock for anything you can have a remote maybe you could have a remote that has an open and a middle and a closed setting but you're not getting you're not getting two travels and you're not getting two leverage rate curves agreed i'm I'm pretty stoked on the Scott, and I think the frame itself is class-leading low weight. It probably is, because if I put those tires on my Mega Tower, it'd be, admittedly, I have coil on my Mega Tower. Yeah. I think it'd be a pound heavier. I, 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 You know what? I think we're blurring classes a little bit, because it, arguably the Ransom is more in the high tower class. It's a... Right. It's in between there. But yeah. it's an anomaly because you flip the switch and it's 170. It, it It's kind of in an yeah, odd... Yeah, but the travel and attitude of the bike, I feel are... I mean, maybe I'm wrong. May, I would maybe make the argument and say it's in a subclass of its own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's got some engineering trade-offs that are more towards climbing compared mm, to the Mega Tower. Yes. And that is the exactly where that spike is fitting into my quiver. While still having all the travel and all the head angle and all that kind of stuff. Correct. Yes. I'm really happy with it. And quote from Indiana Jones, and I even like the color. I think one of the be- I think one of the I need to ride a Ransom, but I've squished on one a little bit, and I feel like I understand enough to say that I'm pretty sure one of the biggest differences is kind of the how the suspension's tuned, and I think the, yeah. the Mega mm. Tower has a lot, has, I don't 
I suspect maybe a more linear mid-stroke. I, it feels yeah. like the Ransom is a firmer suspension tune overall to me. I would agree in general in its open mode with 170. It feels, it doesn't feel like it has 170. It feels maybe more like a 150 bike. Uh, but again, that was my, that was my goal in, in getting that. It's long travel, big climbs, big descents. I want it to climb very effectively and aggressively, but I wanted to have more than 120. I do. I feel like in the 120 mode, it climbs on par with an aggressive 120 bike, but then has the 170 on the way down. But I think climbing wise, it's right on par with a 120 aggressive. Probably climb. I bet it climbs as good as a tall boy. I haven't tried the new tall boy, but it, I can say it climbs. I feel like it climbs better than my transition smuggler. Right. To me, it climbs better. Mm. And it also has the full lockout mode, which if the trail if the trail or fire road is smooth enough, that does really help. How is it on the downhill compared to a Sentinel? So a Sentinel has 140. I would say it could be the build because I have it in full trail trim. Uh, I have lighter weight wheels. I have lighter weight tires. Um, I feel like the Sentinel has more attitude on the shred side, though. I think so. It's hard to say if it was... There was a lot... I never had the Sentinel built up in trail trim. That would be a fun experiment. That's actually something that I was considering was getting another Sentinel and building it up with trail trim. Right. And as light as possible, what what that bike would look like. Would it be more akin to a lightweight high tower that's more shreddy? It might be. Uh, it might be lighter, too. I mean, that wasn't a heavy frame, I don't think. It, mm. It's heavy-ish. Is it? For even for carbon, it's heavy-ish. The, the aluminum ones are egregiously heavy. The carbon ones are heavy-ish, but acceptable for what they're angled towards. But I think there's a version of a parts combination where uh, a Sentinel could build out at like 29 pounds. Mm. It might take Nobby Nicks. If you took your parts package off of the... Off the Scott and put it on a Sentinel, you'd probably be at that 29. I think it'd be like 29 and a half. Mm. You think the frame's two and a half pounds heavier? Pound and a half. Mm. What or what did you say your bike weighs? 28 and a half. 28 and a half. Okay. It's hard to say. Uh, That's not, a lot of grams. It's a lot of grams. But I, there's some things I could squeeze a little bit more weight out of. Also, depending on, because you probably had a piggyback shock on your Sentinel too. I did. The Scott's an inline. Yeah. Um, Scott has the one piece carbon bar and stem. Uh, I could probably save a little weight by switching to like one of those KS carbon seat posts or even a KS seat post. They tend to be lighter than the Manitou post I'm running, which is the exact same weight as a Fox transfer. The one up posts are pretty light. Probably could be, I could probably lose a hundred grams out of the seat post in some capacity. Seat, I could lose some weight. I've got an SQ lab seat with a big rubber bumper thing in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, probably something to be saved in the wheels. I got DT 350 hubs, which are respectively the night, but light, but not the lightest. Right. Two forties and one eighties do exist. Mm-hmm. But all that to loop back around. 
take a look at the Ransom. I think it's a cool bike. And there's a demo you can try, right? Do you guys have more than... There's an extra large demo. Is there a... Yes, and a medium and a large. Oh, wow. So three demos. Yep. I'm going to take that Ransom medium out one of these days. <laughs> Ready for a listener question? Sure. Yeah. I got... Okay, so this is David. Um... They call me Spud around the LBS, he says. And, uh, hey, guys, I love the podcast and have grown to value your opinion on all things pertaining to mountain bikes. With that being said, my question is driven to get that opinion on a couple of upgrades for my bike. I'm currently riding a 2018 Scott Spark 920. That I've upgraded with the SRAM AXS XX1, which I do love, and I am now thinking about upgrading the wheels to the new zip 320 moto wheel or three whatever the zip moto wheels is what i call them do you believe this upgrade from the stock wheels is the right way to go for this bike so he's got a scott spark and he didn't say rc so that means it's a 120 bike front and rear and it's like wow. a it's like a lightish down country bike with I think right. a 67 degree head angle type thing Okay. I live in Fort Worth, Texas, so most of the trails I do are XE type with lots of chunky rocks randomly mixed throughout. So I think on those wheels for that bike, they're a little on the wide side for that bike, and it depends what tires you want to run and if you're okay with the weight trade-offs for something that wide. But if you've got chunky, rocky trails, I can yeah. see that argument to be made. And if you're okay with the weight, I do think you'll be impressed with the traction. I feel like it changed the noise my bike made when I put those wheels on there, mm. like less thwapping. Okay. And I feel like it made my suspension work better, and the, the difference was not that subtle. Oh. In other words, like usually when – I think usually when we talk about performance differences on wheels, there's an assumption that it's pretty subtle. Yeah. And I felt like that was not really that subtle. It was a distinct difference. Yeah. So – um, so I guess my thought is on the rims, maybe if you want to kind of move towards the really heavy trail side of the purpose of that bike yeah, and run tires, at least two, three, probably maybe yeah. two, four, two, five. There's yeah. probably going to be a decent perceived level of effort increase. Yeah. In maybe. I mean, um, the bike he has, I think has aluminum rims and maybe not that great of hubs. So maybe not. Right. Yeah. I think the Scott Sparks a cool frame to actually be worth upgrading. It doesn't have a lot of competitors. Most of the competitors at the 120 travel mark are getting a little heavier and a little shreddier. So as a 120 travel bike that's more XC full slanted. Down yeah, I think that's it's does hold a special place. So he goes on, unless Auk wants to comment more on the wheels. The second thing I'm looking for is a better brake, and I bet he wants two better brakes. <laughs> um, what do you recommend? I just feel like the stock brakes are not powerful enough. It seems like I really have to grab them harder to get the stopping power I'm looking for at times, especially when trying to get the rear to turn. Sorry, I kind of lost my way when I read grab them harder <laughs> and then he just starts trying to turn the rear and uh, so 
Do you have petite hands? I think that bike came. I'm just gonna look it up. 2018 Spark. Well, while I'm doing that though, my question, my first question to the listener is: If you try bigger rotors, mm-hmm. so that's uh, again, I reference back to the Enduro Mag uh, brake article and the testing that they did. The number one thing: if you want more power, bigger rotors. It's physics. It's it's really the most direct thing. Uh, typically, the weight increase isn't that much, but you can get, say, an XT brake to perform really, really well with an 8-inch rotor. The other thing is pad compound, uh, fresh pads, or particularly, I'm a big fan of the cool stop pads for, say, Shimano XT brakes. I think they have a great bite. Uh, where he's riding, if he doesn't, I'm guessing texas doesn't have long sustained downhills he's looking for more bite so this is the organic metallic combination one is i don't think he's probably riding in a lot of rain in san antonio uh organics tend to suffer more in the rain metallics tend to do better in wet weather uh organics have an initial bite that's stronger which do organics so they're in, but for a short shorter period of time, and then they fade quickly. Where, I disagree with that. Whereas metallics have a higher average or more sustained power, but their initial bite is slightly lower than organics, truly bedded organics. Hmm. I always thought metallics had a harder initial bite, but get hot faster. They sustain their power. They don't fade though. Well, organics, if they get to a certain point, they kind of melt. Yes. That's but, really hot. But they're, now, I th- I feel like this experience does mirror my ex- – or th- what I'm saying mirrors my experience. This is the lab data from Enduro Mag's test. Okay. And it was but stopping distances. But it doesn't distances. necessarily match like, a lot of brake manufacturers' propaganda for how to pick their brake pads. So I uh, – I guess I haven't seen, or my, I haven't seen and a lot. It also of... doesn't match my experience. Like my experience yeah. is that metallic pads pads have a harder initial bite, but less modulation and they heat up more and squeal more. I I guess my experience kind of lined up with the article. I might be biasing towards them. They did do the test on one brand of brake, so Hmm. Essentially, they did stopping times, like seconds to stop from a certain speed. And from, I think, 30 kilometers an hour, uh, organic pads uh, stopped quicker. I think that's a really different measure than what I'm talking about when I say bite. Okay. I'm, it's power applied and stopping time. So like a short, a slower speed slow down to stop organics did better but if you're coming in at 45 kilometers an hour and go down to zero the centered would stop in a single stop yeah yeah on flat land this was on a bench test so probably yeah so that's sort of that i could sort of agree with right and that's to me really different than having more bite but that's maybe semantics it might be terminology but Organics are going to have, say, more friction initially, but fade quickly, whereas centers are going to have lower 
they cross over really quick where mm-hmm. organics have more friction in the beginning and then drop away and centers have slightly less friction but maintain. For the record, I like to mostly run organics, sometimes metallic at the front. And I, I like to run metallics front and rear almost all, almost all the time. And metallics are noisier. So they typically noisier. Oh, for sure that. Mm-hmm. So for, it looks like this person has SLX brakes, 180 front, 160 rear. I would say if your SLX yeah. brakes don't feel powerful, they come they probably with have organics. contaminated rotors. And they <laughs> like right yeah. with the 180 160 combination. And I no, bet- I mean seriously, there's a lot of SLX brakes out there that have contaminated rotors and in my experience SLX brakes feel powerful when they're running properly. When they're clean and bedded. And if if it turns out that you do have properly bred bled brakes that don't have contamination on the rotors from because a lot of these SLX brakes, for some reason, they were experiencing p- fluid seat, like weeping from the pistons out onto the pads. My theory is that's porosity with the ceramic pistons on SLX on up. It might be, and it, 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 maybe there's some variability on that from piston to piston because it seems like some pistons are okay and some aren't. But I, on a porous material, you might have some variability on how porous it is. Hmm. Right. Um, that being said, I would say make sure you're... I would be inclined to make sure your SLXs are functioning properly before you replace them, unless you just want something really rad, and then and or also try some bigger rotors. Unless you just want something really rad, and if you just want something really rad, in my opinion, the safe bet is some coats. Yeah, but or actually, on a bike like that, probably some um, G two guides. Hmm. because that's more of a you probably and i don't know what this rider weighs if they're a big rider doing a lot of sustained downhills it might be worth the weight of the if you just want a powerful awesome brake i really like the codes but they're they're downhill brake they're heavy or an enduro brake they're heavy i think the oe spec on slx's from what i've seen or slx's even aftermarket out of the box is they typically ship them with organic pads whereas xt's typically come with metallic pads so at a minimum Hmm. maybe try Pads. Check what pads you have and try the other. I was a little surprised that my Mega Tower came with organic pads on its codes. Mm. Really? Mm-hmm. On codes? Mm-hmm. That's surprising. Yep. I am surprised by that. And they feel awesome. Like, and I wouldn't yeah. say that they have any lack of like power at any time. I also think more high end riders. Uh, more experienced riders can reap the benefits of organic pads, whereas I think less experienced riders that tend to drag right. the brakes very continuously are going to benefit more from a centered pa- uh, metallic pad. That, that's a good. It, so here's where I see that. Whereas you're punching the brakes intermittently and aggressively and deliberately versus dragging the no, brakes. No, I know exactly what you're saying. And here's where I see that playing out. That rider that you're talking about on the organic pad, they're gonna basically get the pad to the point where it starts losing its integrity. It gets so hot, you can start to smell resin. Yeah, and it starts to wear out too fast. You start to be able Maybe to like glaze. burn up a pair of pads, glaze them over. On a metallic pad, you're gonna get even hotter. <laughs> the pad <laughs> is gonna withstand it, the but your braking performance might mm. still go th- to crap. You could, yeah, you could toast the fluid. It's, and or it's one of those things, too, where if here's my final comment on that topic. If you're that rider who's going to overheat brakes, 
the organic pad is going to be better for you right up until the moment when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because the organic pad doesn't overheat as easily or as much. But when it gets to a certain heat point, it fails harder. If you're a brake dragger and a new a newbie, or you're just riding more conservative, whatever the reason is, you bigger pads also drop the friction. They increase the cooling area. Or I'm sorry, bigger rotors. Yeah. Bigger rotors are going to help you a lot. Yep. I think more experienced, more aggressive riders can run organic pads more, reap the benefits of organic pads, and get away with smaller rotors. And take a coaching tip out of what Nathan is referring to, which is brake harder for shorter periods of time. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you'll be off the brake... You, you'll have the be-, be able to have the benefit of not only where your brakes thank you and not overheat as much, but you'll have the benefit of being able to go through certain corners and rough sections off the brakes, which will be faster and smoother. Right. And remember, with brakes, I think a lot of mountain bikers tend to jump to the conclusion that there's a problem with my brakes. Remember, there's a lot of factors of a braking system that you can play with. Every brake has different pad choices from the manufacturer. They also are often a lot of pad choices and compounds from aftermarket companies. Like I think Coolstop has three different pad compounds. EBC makes a number of different pad compounds. They make like greens and reds and like they make different versions and blends of pads. And remember there's different rotors that you can pick, different sizes of rotors. So there's a lot you can tune and play with with a brake system. So don't always jump to the conclusion that I need new brakes. Yep. Okay, I'm almost done with David with David's questions. One last thing. Recommendations on a good saddle. Thanks for all the great podcasts, and hopefully someday I will learn how to shred signal properly. SQ Labs all day, every day. So Nathan votes SQ Labs. Ock? I've got a really not-so-sensitive sit so... <laughs> I can ride virtually any saddle. I can get Ox, away with very lightweight saddles. Ox to achieve not sensitive it. in the back. I'm not sensitive back in the back end. Um, so, do you at least prefer a width? Oh, um, what is my width? You're like medium, like 130 ish. I think I'm like 140. No, because I, I remember correctly, your sit bone width is 120, and you like a 140 something yes. saddle. Oh, okay. Because that's also my sit bone. Width. Yes. So I recommend my first recommendation is get your sit bones measured or measure them, and you can do that by the easiest way to do this is you you take your chamois off if you're wearing one, and you you take a piece of car a piece of cardboard and you know how you could like peel one side off of it so you can see the corrugation mm-hmm. right, and then you sit on that and measure and like find the indentations of your sit bones. And then ischial med- tuberosities, yeah, those. <laughs> and then you measure from center to center the distance, and then depending on how up, like a very upright rider will add more to the width, and a very lean, like a very um, leaned over rider will add less to the width. But for most trail riders, add about two centimeters, twenty millimeters to your sit bone width, and that's like a. Like a centimeter per side. That's kind of, and I would treat that as your minimum saddle width. I would say go that, like you really want, that's what you need to support. So more than, a little more than that's okay. A little less than that is not great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, 
You could wear boxers. I mean, if you take your chamois, you could put boxers back on. And my personal favorite saddle right now is the IXS Uzi 611. Oh, okay. Wait, um, IXS, the same knee pad company? I'm sorry. Spank. Spank. Okay. Spank in U.S. is the same people as IXS, so that's why I get confused. Ah, mm-hmm. Same dis- U.S. distributors? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's more than that. Like, it's a group of people. Like, the oh. whole thing is connected, I feel, I think, in right. my mind. But like a Highway 2 kind of thing? Kind of, like, but more. Oh, okay. Um, Victor and the Gravity Cartel do Spank and IXS, and they're actually deeply embedded with those brands. And more than just distributors for them. Oh, got it. All right. U.S. partner. And I also think there might even be some incest Mm. between those two brands. I'm not sure. Hmm. Well, and I know that the Gravity Cartel, like, it, like, helps them with development, I think, on some stuff. Right. For what it's worth, virtually all my saddles are WTBs. Ah. That was my the, my previous go to was the WTB Devo mm. wide. Yeah, mine is a Silverado. Ah, which is everybody's different. That's technically too narrow for you, I think. By Probably the, what we talked about earlier. The Silverado is one of my no fly like no. Fly. That's one of my no fly saddles. It's the so. last thing in the industry that we still get a lot of takeoffs of is Silverado saddles on Santa Cruz bikes. Yeah. Some people like them. I've I have run them, but I've I finally decided I can't. Bonte Montrose. Those are good. Oops. The Ergon the some of the new Ergon saddles are getting really good reviews. Yes. Those are and great. they look good to me. Can I also just say if you get your bike fit and the angle of the saddle done correct, I think that's that was an eye opener. Yes. Ock is referring, I think, to the time when he was telling me he was getting some quote-unquote groin pressure, and I wasn't totally sure if I could pinpoint exactly where that meant, so I just asked him to point to a spot on the saddle, and then he did, and then I just rotated the nose down like a three-quarters of a degree, and and then he was happy. Hmm. And that has... Man, I can ride virtually any saddle now. But that's... I, I love... This is one of my favorite questions to ask a fake client. Yeah. <laughs> Show me on the saddle where it hurt you. Oh, man. <laughs> right here. Because <laughs> you don't want them pointing to the parts of their body or right. trying to describe, like, where the crease of this meets the fold of that. And... <laughs> the very point of the saddle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just as another tip. Don't assume that the size of the person correlates to the size, the width of the sit bones. But if you're WTB, and I have to fact check this, WTB is at there. Have you seen their new thing about this? Yeah. So WTB has figured out, they discovered that there's a direct correlation. And I'm quoting their, their propaganda. And I, I do honestly intend to fact check them on this as best I can that there is a direct correlation between your sit bone width and the width of your wrist. Huh. And so they say you don't have to measure, you don't have to awkwardly measure someone's butt. You can just measure their wrist and know what saddle size they need. I can tell you at least one example, no way. Yeah, I suspect that there's something fishy going, oh, something wrong with this. (laughs) 
testing the sizing technique. I'm going to, I'm going to do some research though. And uh, a sample size of their office. It seems weird, right? So how would they check 15 people? One would like to think that they know what a sample size is. 30 sets of 30 is what I was told in junior college. (laughs) Depends on uh, confidence and all sorts of confidence interval and all that kind of stuff. Depends. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get back to you on wrist wrist width versus (laughs) sit bone width. I like the stuff you're doing, WTB, but I had... Question that you one. need to sell me on that a little stronger. Just take some measurements and maybe we'll find out. <laughs> I kind of well, clearly, you have to. I mean, I suspect when I dig deeper, there's going to be a different formula for women and men because obviously, yeah. like my wrists are thicker than most women, and most women don't have necessarily wider or narrower sit bones than men or me. Or, and I think sit bones mm-hmm. aren't necessarily correlated with width either no. it, it's the protuberances on your hip not the width of your hip from what i knew they were correlated with nothing yeah i'm i'm gonna go with that measure them yeah don't be lazy you could be wearing boxers too yeah yeah do what you gotta do <laughs> it's like a tom petty song <laughs> <laughs> yeah free, free falling exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> should we leave him with that gem? <laughs> we yeah. should. Sure. Why not? Should we do another listener question? Uh, you want to save it for next how time? How long or? in are we? Uh, hour 38. Oh, yeah. Let's just call it. I'm tired. Yeah. Okay. Uh, remember think- to email us questions at podcast at thepathbikeshop.com. Feel free to reach out to any of us individually on Instagram. That's been really good if you want to get in contact with me. I'm Nathan Heronin at Instagram. Ock is E-Ock. E underscore Ock. Tawny is... Is it T-Walling or Tawny Walling? Tawny Walling. Tawny Walling. T-A-N-I. Hashtag the Path Podcast in your photos. I think we have well over 500. So thanks for participating. Love seeing the photos. Uh, but DMs on Instagram are working really well. If you'd prefer to email, you can also email us at podcast at thepathbikeshop.com. Uh, visit the Path Bike Shop when you're in town. Now that Nathan has invited the whole world to slide into his DMs. Yeah. Slide into my DMs. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Tawny for Nathan and Ock saying love the bike you ride.